What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Storytime with Stephanie. Today I read Chapter 13 of Volume 1, Book 5 of Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. I hope you can grab some tea, cozy up, and enjoy. Chapter 13. The solution of some questions connected with the municipal police. Javert thrust aside the spectators, broke the circle, and set out with long strides towards the police station, which is situated at the extremity of the square, dragging the wretched woman after him. She yielded mechanically. Neither he nor she uttered a word. The cloud of spectators followed, jesting in a paroxysm of delight, supreme misery and occasion for obscenity. On arriving at the police station, which was a low room, warmed by a stove, with a glazed and grated door opening on the street and guarded by a detachment, Javert opened the door, entered with Fantine, and shut the door behind him, to the great disappointment of the curious, who raised themselves on tiptoe and craned their necks in front of the thick glass of the station house in their effort to see. Curiosity is a sort of gluttony. To see is to devour. On entering, Fantine fell down in a corner, motionless and mute, crouching down like a terrified dog. The sergeant of the guard brought a lighted candle to the table. Javert seated himself, drew a sheet of stamped paper from his pocket, and began to write. This class of women is consigned by our laws entirely to the discretion of the police. The latter do what they please, punish them as seems good to them, and confiscate at their will those two sorry things which they entitle, their industry and their liberty. Javert was impassive, his grave face betrayed no emotion whatever. Nevertheless, he was seriously and deeply preoccupied. It was one of those moments when he was exercising without control, but subject to all the scruples of a severe conscience, his redoubtable discretionary power. At that moment, he was conscious that his police agent's stool was a tribunal. He was entering judgment. He judged and condemned. He summoned all the ideas which could possibly exist in his mind around the great thing which he was doing. The more he examined the deed of this woman, the more shocked he felt. It was evident that he had just witnessed the commission of a crime. He just beheld, yonder in the street, society in the person of a freeholder and an elector, insulted and attacked by a creature who was outside all pales. A prostitute had made an attempt on the life of a citizen. He had seen that. He, Javert. He wrote in silence. When he had finished, he signed the paper, folded it, and said to the sergeant of the guard as he handed it to him, "'Take three men and conduct this creature to jail.' Then, turning to Fontaine, "'You are to have six months of it.' The unhappy woman shuddered. Six months.' Six months of prison, she exclaimed. Six months in which to earn seven sous a day. But what will become of Cosette? My daughter, my daughter. But I still owe the Tenadiers over a hundred francs. Do you know that, Monsieur Inspector? She dragged herself across the damp floor, among the muddy boots of all those men, without rising, with clasped hands, and taking great strides on her knees. Monsieur Javert, said she, I beseech your mercy. I assure you that I was not in the wrong. If you had seen the beginning, you would have seen. I swear to you by the good God that I was not to blame. That gentleman, the bourgeois, whom I do not know, put snow on my back. Has anyone the right to put snow down our backs when we are walking along peaceably and doing no harm to anyone? I am rather ill, as you see. And then he had been saying impertinent things to me for a long time. You are ugly. You have no teeth. I know well that I have no longer those teeth. I did nothing. I said to myself, the gentleman is amusing himself. I was honest with him. I did not speak to him. It was at that moment that he put the snow down my back. Monsieur Javert, good Monsieur Inspector, 
Is there not some person here who saw it and can tell you that this is quite true? Perhaps I did wrong to get angry. You know that one is not master of oneself at the first moment. One gives way to vivacity, and then, when someone puts something cold down your back just when you were not expecting it. I did wrong to spoil that gentleman's hat. Why did he go away? I would ask his pardon. Oh my God, it makes no difference to me whether I ask his pardon. Do me the favor today, for this once, Monsieur Javert. Hold. You do not know that in prison one can earn only seven sous a day. It is not the government's fault, but seven sous is one's earnings. And just fancy, I must pay one hundred francs or my little girl will be sent to me. Oh my God, I can't have her with me. What I do is so vile. Oh my Cosette, oh my little angel of the Holy Virgin, what will become of her, poor creature? I will tell you. It is the Tenadiers, innkeepers, peasants, and such people are unreasonable. They want money. Don't put me in prison. You see, there is a little girl who will be turned out into the street to get along as best she may in the very heart of the winter, and you must have pity on such a being, my good Monsieur Javert. If she were older, she might earn her living, but it cannot be done at that age. I am not a bad woman at bottom. It is not cowardliness and gluttony that have made me what I am. If I have drunk brandy, it was out of misery. I do not love it, but it benumbs the senses. When I was happy, it was only necessary to glance into my closets, and it would have been evident that I was not a coquettish and untidy woman. I had linen, a great deal of linen. Have pity on me, Monsieur Javert. She spoke thus, rent in twain, shaken with sobs, blinded with tears, her neck bare, wringing her hands, and coughing with a dry, short cough, stammering softly with a voice of agony. Great sorrow is a divine and terrible ray, which transfigures the unhappy. At that moment, Fantine had become beautiful once more. From time to time, she paused and tenderly kissed the police agent's coat. She would have softened a heart of granite, but a heart of wood cannot be softened. Come, said Javert. I have heard you out. Have you entirely finished? You will get six months. Now march. The eternal father in person could do nothing more. At these solemn words, the eternal father in person could do nothing more. She understood that her fate was sealed. She sank down, murmuring, Mercy. Javert turned his back. The soldiers seized her by the arms. A few moments earlier, a man had entered, but no one had paid any heed to him. He shut the door, leaned his back against it, and listened to Fantine's despairing supplications. At the instant when the soldiers laid their hands upon the unfortunate woman who would not rise, he emerged from the shadow and said, "'One moment, if you please.' Javert raised his eyes and recognized M. Madeline. He removed his hat and saluting him with a sort of aggrieved awkwardness. "'Excuse me, Mr. Mayor.' The words, Mr. Mayor, produced a curious effect upon Fontaine. She rose to her feet with one bound, like a spectre springing from the earth, thrust aside the soldiers with both arms, walked straight up to M. Madeline before anyone could prevent her, and gazing intently at him, with a bewildered air, she cried, Ah, so it is you who are M. Le Maire. Then she burst into a laugh and spit in his face. M. Madeline wiped his face and said, Inspector Javert, set this woman at liberty. Javert felt that he was on the verge of going mad. He experienced at that moment, blow upon blow and almost simultaneously, the most violent emotions which he had ever undergone in all his life. To see a woman of the town spit to the mayor's face was a thing so monstrous that, in his most daring flights of fancy, he would have regarded it as sacrilege to believe it possible. On the other hand, at the very bottom of his thought, he made a hideous comparison as to what this woman was and as to what this mayor might be. And then he, with horror, caught a glimpse of I know not what simple explanation of this prodigious attack. But when he beheld that mayor, that magistrate, calmly wipe his face and say, set this woman at liberty, he underwent a sort of intoxication of amazement. Thought and word failed him equally. The sum total of possible astonishment had been exceeded in his case. He remained mute. The words had produced no less strange an effect on Fontaine. She raised her bare arm and clung to the damper of the stove like a person who was reeling. Nevertheless, she glanced about her and began to speak in a low voice as though talking to herself. At liberty, I am to be allowed to go. I am not to go to prison for six months. Who said that? It is not possible that anyone could have said that. 
I did not hear right. It cannot have been that monster of a mayor. Was it you, my good Monsieur Javert, who said that I was to be set free? Oh, see here, I will tell you about it, and you will let me go. That monster of a mare, that old black guard of a mare, is the cause of all. Just imagine, Monsieur Javert, he turned me out, all because of a pack of rascally women who gossip in the workroom. If that is not a horror, what is? To dismiss a poor girl who was doing her work honestly. Then I could no longer earn enough, and all this misery followed. In the first place, there is one improvement which these gentlemen of the police ought to make, and that is, to prevent prison contractors from wronging poor people. It will explain it to you, you see. You were earning twelve sous at shirt-making. The price falls to nine sous, and it is not enough to live on. Then one has to become whatever one can. As for me, I had my little cosette, and I was actually forced to become a bad woman. Now you understand how it is that that black guard of a mare caused all this mischief. After that, I stamped on that gentleman's hat in front of the officer's cafe, but he had spoiled my whole dress with snow. We women have but one silk dress for evening wear. You see that it did not do wrong deliberately. Truly, Monsieur Javert. And everywhere I behold women who are far more wicked than I, and who are much happier. Oh, Monsieur Javert, it was you who gave orders that I am to be set free, was it not? Make inquiries, speak to my landlord. I am paying my rent now. They will tell you that I am perfectly honest. Oh, my God, I beg your pardon. I have unintentionally touched the damper of the stove, and it has made it smoke. M. Madeleine listened to her with profound attention. While she was speaking, he fumbled in his waistcoat, drew out his purse, and opened it. It was empty. He put it back in his pocket. He said to Fantine, How much did you say that you owed? Fantine, who was looking at Javert only, turned towards him. Was I speaking to you? Then, addressing the soldiers, Say, you fellows, did you see how I spit in his face? Ah, you old wretch of a mare, you came here to frighten me, but I'm not afraid of you. I am afraid of Monsieur Javert. I am afraid of my good Monsieur Javert. So saying, she turned to the inspector again. And yet, you see, Mr. Inspector, it is necessary to be just. I understand that you are just, Mr. Inspector. In fact, it is perfectly simple. A man amuses himself by putting snow down a woman's back, and that makes the officers laugh. One must divert themselves in some way. And we, well, we are here for them to amuse themselves with, of course. And then, you, you come. You are certainly obliged to preserve order. You lead off the woman who is in the wrong. But on reflection, since you are a good man, you say that I am to be set at liberty. It is for the sake of the little one, for six months in prison would prevent my supporting my child. Only don't do it again, you hussy. Oh, I won't do it again, Monsieur Javert. They may do whatever they please to me now. I will not stir. But today, you see, I cried because it hurt me. I was not expecting that snow from the gentleman at all, and then as I told you, I am not well. I have a cough. I seem to have a burning ball in my stomach, and the doctor tells me, take care of yourself. Here, feel, give me your hand. Don't be afraid. It is here. She no longer wept. Her voice was caressing. She placed Javert's coarse hand on her delicate white throat and looked smilingly at him. All at once, she rapidly adjusted her disordered garments, dropped the folds of her skirt, which had been pushed up as she dragged herself along, almost to the height of her knee, and stepped towards the door, saying to the soldiers in a low voice and with a friendly nod, "'Children, Monsieur l'Inspecteur has said that I am to be released, and I am going.' She laid her hand on the latch of the door. One step more, and she would be in the street. Javert, up to that moment, had remained erect, motionless, with his eyes fixed on the ground, cast athwart this scene like some displaced statue, which is waiting to be put away somewhere. The sound of the latch roused him. He raised his head with an expression of sovereign authority, an expression all the more alarming in proportion as the authority rests on a low level, ferocious in the wild beast, atrocious in the man of no estate. Sergeant, he cried, don't you see that jade is walking off? Who bade you let her go? I, said Madeline. Fontaine trembled at the sound of Javert's voice and let go of the latch as a thief relinquishes the article which he has stolen. 
At the sound of Madeline's voice, she turned around, and from that moment forth she uttered no word, nor dared so much as to breathe freely, but her glance strayed from Madeline to Javert, and from Javert to Madeline in turn, according to which was speaking. It was evident that Javert must have been exasperated beyond measure before he would permit himself to apostrophize the sergeant as he had done, after the mayor's suggestion that Fantine should be set at liberty. Had he reached the point of forgetting the mayor's presence? Had he finally declared himself that it was impossible that any authority should have given such an order, and that the mayor must certainly have said one thing by mistake for another without intending it? Or, in view of the enormities of which he had been a witness for the past two hours, did he say to himself that it was necessary to recur to supreme resolutions, that it was indispensable that the small should be made great, that the police spy should transform himself into a magistrate, that the policeman should become a dispenser of justice, and that, in this prodigious extremity, order, law, morality, government, society in its entirety, was personified in him, Javert. However that may be, when M. Madeline uttered that word, I, as we have just heard, Police Inspector Javert was seen to turn toward the mayor, pale, cold, with blue lips, and a look of despair, his whole body agitated by an imperceptible quiver and an unprecedented occurrence, and say to him, with downcast eyes but a firm voice, Mr. Mayor, that cannot be. Why not? said M. Madeline. This miserable woman has insulted a citizen. Inspector Javert, replied the mayor, in a calm and conciliating tone, listen. You are an honest man, and I feel no hesitation in explaining matters to you. Here is the true state of the case. I was passing through the square, just as you were leading this woman away. There were still groups of people standing about, and I made inquiries and learned everything. It was the townsman who was in the wrong and who should have been arrested by properly conducted police. Javert retorted, This wretch has just insulted Monsieur le Maire. That concerns me, said M. Madeleine. My own insult belongs to me, I think. I can do what I please about it. I beg Monsieur le Maire's pardon. The insult is not to him, but to the law. Inspector Javert, replied M. Madeleine, the highest law is conscience. I have heard this woman. I know what I am doing. And I, Mr. Mayor, do not know what I see. Then content yourself with obeying. I am obeying my duty. My duty demands that this woman shall serve six months in prison. M. Madeleine replied gently, Heed this well. She will not serve a single day. At this decisive word, Javert ventured to fix a searching look on the mayor and to say, but in a tone of voice that was still profoundly respectful, I am sorry to oppose Monsieur le Maire. It is for the first time in my life, but he will permit me to remark that I am within the bounds of my authority. I confine myself, since Monsieur le Maire desires it, to the question of the gentleman. I was present. This woman flung herself on Monsieur Bois, who was an elector and the proprietor of that handsome house with a balcony, which forms the corner of the Esplanade, three stories high and entirely of cut stone. Such things as there are in the world. In any case, Monsieur le Maire, this is a question of police regulations in the streets and concerns me, and I shall detain this woman Fontaine. Then M. Madeleine folded his arms and said in a severe voice which no one in the town had heard hitherto, The matter to which you refer is one connected with the municipal police. According to the terms of Articles 9, 11, 15, and 66 of the Code of Criminal Examination, I am the judge. I order that this woman shall be set at liberty. Javert ventured to make a final effort. But, Mr. Mayor, I refer you to Article 81 of the Law of the 13th of December, 1799, in regard to arbitrary detention. Monsieur le Maire, permit me. Not another word. But, leave the room, said M. Madeleine. Javert received the blow erect, full in the face, in his breast, like a Russian soldier. He bowed to the very earth before the mayor and left the room. Fontaine stood aside from the door and stared at him in amazement as he passed. Nevertheless, she also was the prey to a strange confusion. She had just seen herself a subject of dispute between two opposing powers. She had seen two men who held in their hands her liberty, her life, her soul, her child, in combat before her very eyes. 
One of these men was drawing her towards darkness, the other was leading her back towards the light. In this conflict, viewed through the exaggerations of terror, these two men had appeared to her like two giants. The one spoke like her demon, the other like her good angel. The angel had conquered the demon, and, strange to say, that which made her shudder from head to foot was the fact that this angel, this liberator, was the very man whom she abhorred, that mayor whom she had so long regarded as the author of all her woes, that Madeline. And at the very moment when she had insulted him in so hideous a fashion, he had saved her. Had she then been mistaken? Must she change her whole soul? She did not know. She trembled. She listened in bewilderment, she looked on in affright, and at every word uttered by M. Madeline she felt the frightful shades of hatred crumble and melt within her, and something warm and ineffable, indescribable, which was both joy, confidence, and love, dawned in her heart. When Javert had taken his departure, M. Madeline turned to her and said to her in a deliberate voice, like a serious man who does not wish to weep and who finds some difficulty in speaking, I have heard you. I knew nothing about what you have mentioned. I believe that it is true, and I feel that it is true. I was even ignorant of the fact that you had left my shop. Why did you not apply to me? But here I will pay your debts. I will send for your child, or you shall go to her. You shall live here, in Paris, or where you please. I undertake the care of your child and yourself. You shall not work any longer if you do not like. I will give all the money you require. You shall be honest and happy once more. And listen, I declare to you that if all is as you say, and I do not doubt it, you have never ceased to be virtuous and holy in the sight of God. Oh, poor woman. This was more than Fantine could bear. To have Cosette, to leave this life of infamy, to live free, rich, happy, respectable with Cosette, to see all these realities of paradise blossom of a sudden in the midst of her misery. She stared stupidly at this man who was talking to her, and could only give vent to two or three sobs. Oh, oh, oh. Her limbs gave way beneath her, she knelt in front of M. Madeline, and before he could prevent her, he felt her grasp his hand and press her lips to it. Then she fainted. And that will be all for today. I will be back tomorrow with some more of Les Miserables for you. In the meantime, I hope you have an excellent day. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.